Well, Matthew 23, verse 12, it says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which way are you going? Are you going up or are you going down? Because if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. You're going to come down. But if you humble yourself, the Bible says you'll be exalted. You'll go up. And humility, I believe, is a key for us accessing everything that God has for our lives. We've talked about that humility is simply coming into agreement with God. It's not lifting our ideas, our thoughts, our way of doing things above God's. God's way is better. And humility is agreeing with Him. I don't see how you can serve a big God and have a small dream. When you serve a big God, God's got something big for each and every one of us. And and so it's us agreeing with that dream, coming into alignment with it. I I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. How many know some of our, our biggest obstacles right now are us? It's me. It's my. And, you know, it's all the I out there. You know, in fact, I challenge to say we get in the road more than anything else. Uh, we're the biggest hindrance to God actually working in our life. And so if we could deal with the, 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 the pride in our life, we would move forward in greater, uh, greater ways. But I like this verse just found in, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. It says, listen to this because it defines humility. It says, humility is the fear of the Lord. So what is humility? It is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor in life. They're good things that you want. Yeah, it's wages. What it pays you are riches, honor, and life. But humility, the essence of humility is what? It's the fear of the Lord. See, the early church understood this. In fact, if we look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the church was in momentum. It had suffered persecution. It responded to that persecution by not backing off, by not retreating. In fact, I like the early church because every time it got persecuted, it said, we're going to turn it up a notch. At first, they saw that that Peter and John, they were bold in what they did, praying for the man at the gate, beautiful. And and people saw their boldness and and, and recognized they had been with Jesus. And as a result of that, persecution came. They got locked up. They got put on trial. But they, they, they came away from that, and they got together with the church and said, we need to pray for more boldness. (laughs) They intensified their focus. And as a result of intensifying their focus, there was more, the power of God was more on display. See, so many people, when they face opposition, they turn things down. I believe what we need to do as a church when we face opposition, we need to turn things up in Jesus' name and intensify our focus. See, when you intensify your focus, you see things that you might miss. Uh, even as a church, you know, we're moving from venue to venue. I'm really believing just as we intensify our focus, you know, where people will go, oh, it's just inconvenient. If we intensify our focus, God's going to add two more, add more people to us than we've ever seen before. Uh, and I love the early church. You know, the early church wasn't a convenient church. It wasn't like a lot of churches today, you know, just where everybody does everything for believers. You know, every believer had to stand on their own conviction. Every believer had to have their own revelation of Jesus. 
And I like the early church because it grew. And, and it says the churches throughout Judea, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. They had peace. It wasn't related to their circumstances. It was a peace beyond their circumstances. They had peace and they were edified. And listen to this. And it says, and walking in what? In the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they multiplied. Uh, Walking in the fear of the Lord. In other words, they had humility because humility is the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. How many know we live in a, a world right now that loves convenience? Our flesh loves convenience. Who doesn't love convenience? You know, the days where drive-through came through, uh, came out. How many remember, you know, going through the drive-through for the first time? In fact, Kathy, my wife, went through the drive-through. She was with her father and, uh, you know, didn't realize where to speak. And he ended up speaking to the rubbish bin instead of the... The, the speaker, but, but drive through, you don't even have to get out of your car to get, to get food. You know, how convenient is that? How many know this world has got even more convenient now? We don't even have to get in our car to get food. Come on, you can just Uber Eats. Yeah, Uber Eats. Anybody like Uber Eats out there? Fan of Uber Eats? You know, a few people are fan of Uber Eats. It's like, you know, it delivers food to your doorstep. In fact, I read in the newspaper somebody was complaining because the Uber Eats driver didn't knock on their door. They just bit their horn. Oh, the inconvenience of going to your driveway to get a ready-made meal for you. It's like, you know, we live in this convenient culture. It's like, like, you know, now we don't even have to fill out forms. You know, you go on the internet, on your computer, and, uh, you know, you can do it all online. That's convenient, isn't it? But it goes even beyond that. Now you've got autofill. That's even next level above that. You know, who doesn't like uh, convenience? Yeah, inconvenience, ah, that, that goes against our flesh. Our flesh loves, loves convenience. But inconvenience can't do what conviction can. And, and the danger in many places is we relate to God on the basis of whether it's convenient or not, rather than having a conviction about who we are and what God's called us to. Yeah, you know, I, I love the thought, just the thought of everyone. Everyone, you know, just that thought, everyone. How many know a party goes well when everybody's into it? You know, in fact, that's why you hear, oh man, everybody was into it. Everybody was up on the floor. They were dancing. You know, everybody, everyone, where everyone's connected. There's nobody sitting in the corner, you know, sulking. Everyone. You know, I love the thought of everyone because I love the thought of, you know, a place where everyone is cared for. You know, everybody is celebrated. Yeah, you know, everybody's laughing, enjoying what's going on. And, and I love the, the, uh, this thought of everyone because Jesus died for everyone. Just let that sink in for a little bit. No one was excluded. He died for the people that you don't like. He died for the people that you don't get on with. Jesus died for, for, for who? For Everyone, and his desires for everyone, that none perish. See, see, there's power when everyone's in, everyone shouts, everyone dances, everyone praises. And in fact, we often get our permission from what everyone is doing. Oh, well, everyone's doing it. 
We take our cues from that. Well, you know, everyone is doing that, so, so why not? In fact, the enemy knows the power of everyone. And in fact, our culture in today's world is often on a slide because, you know, what people hear on media and different things, they think, well, it's popular and must be right. How many know just because something's popular does not mean make it right? Just because it's the way of the world doesn't mean it lines up with the Word of God. And at some point in there, you and I get our direction and, and, and our path from what God says. You know, I found the enemy loves to work in two ways. You know, when it comes to sin, number one, he, he wants to keep us in shame and make us feel guilty and make us feel like we're the only one who struggles with it. And so when shame is around, what do we do? We do what Adam and Eve do. We hide. But how many know it's stupid to hide from God? Because you can't. Shame. So, so it works in a way where he shames people. But on the other side, he either shame people or he'll expose it to normalize it. And just say, well, you know, everyone's doing it. So it's just a common thing, so let's just go along with it. I believe it's so important in the church that, that we understand that, that it, the Bible talks about how the world is going to be in the last days. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know, Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, listen to this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there's going to be difficult times. But listen to this and see if you recognize this in our culture today. It says, for people will love only themselves and their money. How many recognize that? That's what's going to happen. They'll love only themselves, concerned for themselves, and they'll love their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Anybody know any, any people like that? Scoffing at God. They'll be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. Uh, they'll betray their friends, being reckless, be puffed up with, be puffed up with pride, and, and love pleasure rather than God. That's what will happen. They'll, they'll love pleasure rather than the God. They'll act religious, so they even come to church. They act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. And Paul says to Timothy, stay away from people like that. Well, that's pretty strong, Paul. But he's saying, hey, just because it's popular does not make it right. And you've got to open your eyes to see what's going on around the world because God has a different plan. See, one biblical phrase that's troubled many people over the years is, is this, we're commanded to fear God. Uh, what does the fear of the Lord mean? And why would God ask us to, to fear Him? You know, from the Bible, what, what is the fear of God? You know, what are you afraid of right now? Some of you got spiders. Anybody afraid of spiders? It's just like you freak out at spiders, you know, mice, you know, different things. Anybody afraid of mice? It's like, ah. it's like you know, rats. Or People can be afraid of many different things. The dark, they can be afraid of the dark. They can be afraid of what other people think. They can be afraid of public speaking. You know, many things keep people in fear. 
Now, now, is God on the list of the things that you're afraid of? Uh, no. Uh, so here's the question today. Is there a fear that can set you free? Is there a fear that can set you free? Now, now why would God want us to fear him? Could there, there be such a thing as a good fear? Uh, we know there's a bad fear that paralyzes you. But could there be a good fear that actually mobilizes you? That actually causes you to move forward? At first you need to realize that there's a fear that doesn't produce good results. You know, that, that keeps you bound up. And, and the Bible shows us, you know, in some places where the, this is true. You know, in James it talks about, you say you have faith, in James 2.19. Uh, you believe that there's one God, it says good for you. It says, good for you. I don't know if that's coming up on the stream. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and tremble in terror. So what it's saying is just because you believe in God, you know, hey, good for you. That, that doesn't make a difference. Even the de demons do and they tremble in fear. It goes on in Matthew. We know the story of, of the parable of the talents. And, and the, the guy with one who buried his talent, he buried his talent because he said he, he, said he was uh, afraid and because he was afraid, he hid his talent in the ground instead of using it to be productive. See, fear caused him to do nothing. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, it tells us that the cowardly or the fearful will not be in God's kingdom. The cowardly or the fearful. How many know if you're the righteousness of God, the righteous are as bold as a lion? I'm tempting the neighbor and say, you need to be bold. <laughs> Come on, if you've got Jesus Christ in you, you can't be shy. You can't be withdrawn. You know, there's a boldness that comes into your life. So, so what type of fear does God want us to have? You know, well, if we unpack in the Hebrew and the Greek, you know, uh, this, this whole fear thing, there's, there's several shades of meaning. In fact, the Hebrew word, for fear is yore, yore, uh, which actually means to fear, to respect, to reverence. You know, the Hebrew noun is yara, which means to fear God, and, and it's viewed as a positive quality. Uh, it's a fear that acknowledges God's good intentions. It's a fear that acknowledges that He's for us. The Greek is, is phobos, which, which is a reverential fear of God. Uh, not, not, not a fear of his power and righteous retribution, but it's also a, a, a wholesome dread of displeasing him. It's a wholesome dread of, oh man, I, I could limit you, God. I, I don't want to limit you in my life. And, and this type of fear is productive. It's positive. And that's why Luke in the book of Acts describes the New Testament church as walking in the fear of the Lord. And it says they multiplied because they said, man, we've been given so much. We've got to do something with us. And as a result of that, they step beyond convenience. They step beyond and they began to rest in the word of God. And they began to see God, God's faithfulness on display. 
You know, in Hebrews, it talks about, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, come on, don't neglect this great salvation. This is a great salvation. If you're saved, don't go back to old ways of living. Come on, old, old patterns. Come on, this is a new life. This is a great, you've got to do something with it. And it's this fear of God that actually causes us to act. See, when there's a lack of productivity in the kingdom, could it be because it's there because of the absence of fear? There's an absence of reverence. The churches were in peace and they were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they multiplied. See, the fear of God is an attitude of respect, a response of reverence. You know, just imagine you had a lion as a pet. You know, you know, that'd be pretty cool, but it'd be scary at the same time. You know, if, if the lion came up, you know, gave you hugs, you know, people have those big soft toy lions, and, you know, it's cool, but a real lion, you know, not a soft toy lion, a real lion. Imagine you had that as a pet. It'd be pretty cool. It'd be pretty amazing, but it'd be scary at the same time, you know, because that's, you know, that's, he could, in one moment, you know, we've heard of stories at the zoo where that's happened. You know, lion keepers, it's like best friends for years, and then one moment, boom. Yeah, but then imagine, what I want you to imagine is somebody you respect, you really respect. Imagine, you know, having an opportunity to have lunch with them. Like Paul the Apostle. If you got to have lunch with him, that'd be pretty amazing. You know, wrote one third of the Bible, sit down, talk with him, talk about his experiences, you know, get him to pray for you. How many know you'd be hanging on his every word? Yeah, you'd, you'd be hanging, you'd be listening in, you'd be, you'd, you'd be tuning your ear, you'd be right, taking notes, man. This is Paul. This is Paul, great man of God. And now, what I want you to do is I want you to take those two concepts, you know, the lion as a pet and somebody you, you respect, and I want you to throw them into the blender and mix them together. Because in those two concepts, you know, there, that's where you get an understanding of what it is to fear God. That's where you get an understanding. It's those two concepts melded together. That's what the fear of God is right there. The Bible is so powerful. Come on, how many know that the Bible is the Word of God? It's not a whole lot of thoughts put together. This is the Word of God. And you've got to understand, this is what the Word of God says when it comes to the fear of God. In Psalm 128, verse 1, it says, Blessed is everyone, again, there's that word, everyone who fears the Lord. How many want to live a blessed life? Well, the three people who got excited right there. Yeah, come on. How many want to live a blessed life? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. That's good, a good promise. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall be the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And there's some great promises there. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to have humility. See, see, the problem is many of us think that the world is the ultimate threat to God. And God's there to offset you know, the threat of the world. But how different is that from a biblical position? 
God is far more scarier than the world. God is far more scarier than the devil. See, see, we assume the world is the ultimate threat and we give it unwarranted power. How many know the world's threats are temporary? And, and when we just approach God you know, like He's there to balance the stress of the world, what we do is we reduce Him to the world's equal. But He's no comparison. Yeah. Uh, He's not somebody you want to play around with. I, I like, you know, Lion, Witch, and the Woodrow. When it came to Aslan, they, they said, is he safe? Well, they said, no, he's not safe. But he is good. See, a lot of people today relate to God, and they want a nice God. We want a nice, but God's not nice. If he was nice, he wouldn't have let Lazarus die. Because dying's not nice. You know, It's painful. I've never experienced it, but yeah, it's, it's like, not nice, but, but God's not nice. He's good. He's good. And, and so often we form and construct God in our image rather than letting God be God. Yeah, and in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, it says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Don't fear that. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy your soul and your body in hell. Come on, that's a wake-up call. Some of us are fearing stuff in the world. It's not, you just need to align yourself with God. And, and when you align yourself with God, you understand He's bigger, He's greater, and everything else is inferior. See, see as I've walked with God, I've discovered that God poses an anonymous threat to my ego. He's a threat to my ego, but not me. See, he rescues me from my delusions. Anybody can be a little bit delusional. See, when we have pride, that's what we are. We're delusional. We're filled with our own ideas. He rescues me from my delusions and gives me the truth so I can live in freedom. He, he casts me down so he can lift me up sometimes. Sometimes we don't recognize what God's doing. It's like a bus is, we're right in front of a, a bus and it's traveling towards us. And sometimes God will come along and he'll push us out of the way in his mercy. And we'll get, get, get a graze on our knee, our, our elbow, maybe, you know, we get a little bit concussed. He pushes us out of the way and, and we get mad at God because we've got a grazed knee and, you know, our elbow's bleeding. But we don't realize that he actually pushed us out of the way in his mercy to rescue us from the greater thing, which was the bus. Come on, we've got to see God. And, and he cast me down to, li to lift me up. He sits in judgment of my sin, but he forgives me nevertheless. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the love of God is its completion. See, the problem today is a lot of people believe in God, but they don't fear Him. And how do I know this? Because people say, well, I believe in God, but I'll live however the heck I want to live. I'll do what I want to go. I want enough of God that's going to get me to heaven, but I, I want enough of God that's going to keep me out of hell. I, I just want enough. But I don't want so much of God that it's going to, have to, it's going to require me to change my lifestyle. Because at the root of it, I believe in God, but I don't fear God. 
<laughs> growing up, you know, Monday nights was my dad's cooking night. Now he cooks, he cooks a lot more, but we all dreaded Monday night a little bit because he would just throw whatever in the pot, come up with his own recipe and hope it worked out. And one thing about my father is, um, you know, he wouldn't let you dish up your own thing. He would make sure he dishes it up. And, you know, the rule in our household was whatever's on your plate. Anybody else have that rule? You know, it's like, yeah, you have to eat what's ever on your plate. And, and, you know, we just had to do that. But, you know, we live in a world today where, you know, I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take that. And we approach God, but, but God said, here's the plate. Here's the plate. You need to take the whole counsel of God's word. Uh, not just bits and pieces, but let's take the whole counsels of God's Word. Not just the, the bits we understand. Yeah, even the bits that we may not agree with. Initially, God, I, I, I'm going to trust you in this. Because uh, I fear you. You're bigger, you're greater than I am. Who am I to hold you hostage to my unanswered questions? See, a lot of people do that today. They, they pick and choose. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a little bit of the grace of God without the judgment, please. Let, let's just get rid of that side. I'll take the verse that it says, God bless me, but, but no discipline, please. No, no discipline where, you know, I, I have to do things or I have to rearrange my schedule, you know, to do that. No, none of that, please. I, I like the verse about God's plans to prosper me, to bless me, not to harm me. But I don't like that verse that tells me to be generous. Oh, it's got real quiet in this place. You know, I don't want to believe in a God that tells me what I, what I should do. I want my God this way. I want it this way. And I want to package him in a place where, you know, he just fits into my life rather than becoming my life. Psalm 36, verse 1 to 2. This is a challenging psalm because it says, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Wow. What does sin do? It whispers. And what does sin say? Hey, go ahead, just do it. You deserve it. No, nobody will ever know. Come on, live a little. Hey, God will forgive you anyway. Yeah, you, you don't need to take this God stuff too seriously. Come on, don't be over spiritual. And what does sin do? Sin whispers to the heart of the wicked. And we say, I'm glad I'm not one of the wicked. And you aren't either. Though those idiots down the street that we don't like, they're wicked, but not us, right? What if this verse is talking to us? What if, what if it's talking to you and I? And we can't see, because our culture all around us, how wicked we really are. The Bible says there's not one who does good. Not one, not one. And our hearts are deceitful above all things. Our hearts can trick us. You're all right. You're fine. Everybody's doing it. They look, they're all right. 
You know, you don't need to trust God. You, don't, you can get away with not praying. You, you really don't need to know the Bible. It's all right. You know, read the newspaper, but the, but the Bible? No, you don't really. Come on. Just, just rely on, on the preacher on Sunday. You know, his words aren't really words that you need to live by. Now, what if sin is whispering to us and in our blind conceit, pride, we cannot see how wicked we really are? What if there was no fear to restrain us? Uh, what if we believe in God, but we don't fear Him? Great. Some of you are going, great, this is heavy, Sam. <laughs> this is real heavy. Yeah. Oh. Fear of God. Now, what's the fear of God? It's a reverent awe. Oh, it's, a, it's a divine wow. Yeah, it's a divine wow. You know, I love the song, Israel Horton. Who, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I? I, I? Greatest title I have in life is not husband. It's not father. It's not pastor. Greatest title I have in life is that I'm a friend of God. That's the greatest title that God, who am I? Who am I that you are mindful of me? Almighty God, that, that you think about me? You know, the whole universe, you run all that, you know, fling stars, and, and you're mindful of me, man. Wow. Wow. You're my shelter. You're my rock. But also you're consuming fire. See, see, see the fear of God is an understanding of God's capacity and capabilities. That, that's what the fear of God, you're God. Now, who am I to come up against you? See, what I found is the closer you get to God, the more in awe of Him you are. The more in awe. It's like, I went to Rio last year, we've got a gathering there, and they've got Christ the Redeemer up on the hill. It looks like a small ornament from far away, but when you get close to that thing, that thing's big. It's huge. It's, you know, far away looking at it, oh, it's like an ornament on a shelf. But when you get closer, it's like, Wow. Wow, people went to that length to create this, this massive thing. And, and it's the same with Christ. It's like the closer you get, the more in awe of Him you are. You, you have a reverent fear. And you do what He wants, not because you have to, but because you understand what He's done for you. How many know humility is attractive? It's endearing. We gravitate towards people who aren't pretentious. Pretentious pride is off-putting. You know, I like it when people are talented, they're gifted, they, they, they have great gifts, but they, they just have that common touch. They don't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. You know, humility brings that. And, and here's the thing, God's attracted to humility, but also other people are. And humility is the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. If you don't fear God, and many don't, it's simple. It's because you don't know Him that well. See, when you know God, you fear God. And here's what you do. Number one, you'll serve Him without conditions. See, see, many people come to God, but they have conditions. You know, they're giving their heart to God, but they go, oh, well, not that part. I'll just hold that back. You know, you know, I'll serve you, God, but don't ask me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. 
It's like, no, I know better, I'm all right, you know. Think. I, I, I'll serve you, God, but forget about that tithing stuff, that 10% stuff, you know, no, that's, that's mine. Uh, it's mine, it's my precious, I'm going to keep it back. Uh, yeah, I, I want to serve you, God, but I'm going to watch whatever I like. And I, I'll serve you, God, but, I, but in the end, I'm just going to create my own version of you. See, to create your own vision of God is to make a small God. And when you fear God, you will obey Him without conditions. That's why Abraham's the father of faith. God told him to take his promise, his only son, Isaac, take him up to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him. And in the end, you know, just as he was about to do it, God intervened and there was a ram in the thicket. But in Genesis 22, verse 12, he said, you know, to, he said to Abraham, do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything, for now I know that you fear God. I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. It's like, hey, you fear me. That went beyond rational sense. That's why Jesus said, hey, if you love me, you obey my commands. If you love me, you obey my commands. Here's what drives many people to God today. God, if you fix my life, I'll give you a chance. If you come in and fix you know, my life, I'll give you a chance. See, in reality, uh, we don't want God in control. We want God to take control. <laughs> and there's a difference. It's like, oh, I'm going through a hard time. I've done what I can. God, can you take control? And then once he sorts it out, we go, okay, I'm back in control. <laughs> It's like, oh, I've got to change, you know, right now. God, can you, can, can you come take control? Yeah, sort it out. Okay. We don't want God in control. We want God to take control. See, if, if your marriage is fine, chances are you don't need God. If your marriage is struggling or you've got, struggling, you know, you've got exams coming up, you haven't studied all year, <laughs> come on, God, take control. <laughs> Oh God, please, in your mercy, come and take control. Some people are praying that right now. It's like studies. Finances, yeah, we've been ill-disciplined. We haven't honored God, done what God says. God, I just need relief. I'm in trouble. Can you come and take control of my finances? But we don't want God in control. You know, we do it with our health. It's like what we say is, God, come and help my team win. Come on, let's just have a prayer meeting for the All Blacks right now. Well, oh man, I've got a big amen right there. Eh? Yeah, here's the deal. Instead of God fixing your life, maybe God wants to ruin your life. <laughs> just a suggestion. Because what you've got to understand is costly seeing God. To see God, something has to die. It's like when a guy went up to a famous sculptor and he said, what are you? What are you sculpting? And he says, oh, elephant. Elephant. He goes, well, how are you doing it? And he says, well, I'm just cutting away the pieces that don't look like an elephant. <laughs> Do you know when you see God, the pieces in the parts of our life that don't look like Jesus fall to the ground. And when you fear God, you'll be ruined forever because there's some things you can't hold on to. It's costly seeing God. You, you can't remain the same. You can't backslide and be happy. 
Everything you thought was important is not, no longer important. And there's a new mission that drives you now. That's why in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Yeah, and the angels were crying out, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I saw that. But in the next moment, he says, woe to me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. See, when you're in the presence of God, you're undone. Because you know there's no way that you can measure up. But then you begin to understand God's grace and God's mercy. And in that moment, you go, man, I can't go back to being the same. And in Isaiah chapter 6, then, you know, he leans in and he hears a conversation between the Godhead. And he says, who will go for me? And right in that moment, because he knew that the gap had been bridged, he says, here I am, send me. See, I'm afraid there's many people who come to church, but you haven't been ruined yet. And what really freaks me out is, as your pastor, I have to answer for you. That, that really freaks me out because I have to give an account. You believe in God, but you do whatever you want. And you don't fear him. Some of you, yeah, you recognize him, you believe in him, but you don't fear him. And, and you have to face it. Come on, our equippers, we like to keep it real. You're involved in a half-hearted Christianity, and it's not the real deal. See, there's huge benefits of fearing God. Just quickly, I'm going to go through these real quick. Uh, fearing God, number one, and I'm going to give you a verse upon verse. You, you may want to write these down and look over them later. Uh, the fear of God, number one, is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but a fool's despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15 verse 33, wisdom's instruction. Here's wisdom's instruction. Some of you are going, well, I need wisdom for what's happening at work now. Well, here's wisdom's instruction. Fear the Lord. Fear God and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Number two, you know, if you're struggling with sin, you know, the fear of the Lord motivates us to holiness. Proverbs 3 verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Some of you are going, oh, oh you're, you're afraid of your kids going out and doing dumb stuff. The best thing you can teach them in and model to them is the fear of the Lord. Because that will keep them, not you, grabbing their phone every moment to see who they're texting and who they think. You know, you can be a policeman, you can do all that stuff, but the fear of the Lord will cause them to shun evil. Proverbs 16 verse 6 says, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. See, sometimes we respect things that have no regard for us. We respect it, but the fear of the Lord. Number three, it prolongs life. Proverbs 10 verse 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Come on, how many want to live a long life? With long life, He will satisfy us. The fear of the Lord does that. Number four, it produces security and confidence. 
Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is what? There is, come on, is it up on strong? On the fear of the Lord, there is, come on, if you're lacking in confidence right now. Maybe it's an issue to do with the fear of the Lord because in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and His children have a place of refuge. It promotes security and confidence. Number five, it makes all life better. Better little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. You can have great resources, but a whole lot of turmoil. Better a little fear of the Lord and great wealth. Number six, it produces satisfaction and safety. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. It leads to what life? Then no one rests content, untouchable by trouble. I love that. When you've got the, the fear of the Lord, it's not that trouble doesn't come, but you're untouchable. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you want to be untouchable? You want to be untouchable? You need to fear God. Untouchable by trouble. Number seven, last one is it brings great blessing. Proverbs 22, 4. Humility is, is the fear of the Lord. It's wages and riches. It's wages are riches and honor and life. Humility. Could it be that we're more proud than we sometimes choose to acknowledge? See, it's only in the light of God's word that our pride is exposed. A lot of people say, yeah, I'm humble. I'm humble. But maybe we have more pride than we choose to acknowledge. I love what the psalmist says, Psalm 86, verse 11. It says, teach me your way, O God. And everybody say that, teach me your way, O God. I need to learn here. Each and every one of us have got something to learn this morning. Teach me your way, O God, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. I don't want to have duplicity in my life. I don't want to serve. I can't serve two masters. There's no gray. It's, it's black or white. God, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Humility is it. And if we exalt ourselves, we're going to be humble. But if we humble ourselves, He will exalt us.